Hey guys, Veronica, Andrew, and Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies, a podcast dedicated to awesome movies, great food, and that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon so we can eat this week. And now your feature presentation. The following podcast is a Journey Into Comics Network production. From the suburbs of Chicago and Illinois, this is The Poor Report with your host, Andrew Poor. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 41 of The Poor Report. 41 episodes, that is something. Definitely not something I actually ever expected getting to. 41 is, it's not that far from 50 really when you get down to it. There's definitely a lot of episodes behind me. It's hard to believe we're getting close to that one year mark. But 50 episodes is going to be exciting. I know there's some stuff in the works. And I was thinking about what to do for 41 and my life's been kind of hectic as Liz and I get near to our home closing and that next phase of our lives and... For those of you who tune into other shows on the network, you'll know that Liz and I have a show together called Adulting Ain't Easy, which I appreciate you guys listening to our uh, pilot. And then the episode two is actually going to be dropping tomorrow for those who are listening to today's episode. So definitely check that out. It's um, also on the social medias at Adulting's Hard on Facebook and Twitter. So we'll be having links to those and some comments and I think once our lives get a little more on track, we'll definitely be more active on social media, or at least I will be. But I just really appreciate those of you who check this out. I know we've got a lot of listens and a lot of Facebook activities, so definitely great news there. But when I try to think about this episode, there's a lot that needs to be covered and a lot I wanted to cover, but just time has just been kind of getting away from me. So I decided, instead of tackling the massive Trump news from the past week that I was going to do a Trump-free episode. We don't have those very often. I think if you took all of the episodes I've done, Trump's probably in 90% of them. Maybe between 75 and 90% of them he's in. So it's kind of nice to maybe have an episode that we're getting away from it. I mean, there'll be some talk of the White House, and the poor four for this week has some some fun info. But um, yeah, I just wanted to keep it pretty easy, pretty straightforward, keep it kind of loosed this week and then there'll be some more fun news next week so i'm probably gonna record another episode in the next day or two that we'll talk about that'll drop next tuesday just because between now and then my week's gonna get even more hectic as was once we close there's a lot of housework and yard work and all that stuff that'll need to be done so definitely a lot going on but i want to make sure you still get an episode from me and more news that's going on and it might be a follow-up episode to stuff that i've covered previously like the Whatever happened to that 30-year-old kid who was court-ordered to move out of his parents' house, or what's going on with the volcano, or what's going on um, in Santa Fe, and Stoneman Douglas. So just probably some follow-up, and I'll probably be recording that the next day or two, which will be up early on Patreon for those of you who subscribe for a uh, dollar for early access, or you can get access to some exclusive content for $3, and that's at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. But that's enough plugs and talk about me. Let's kind of get into the news for this week. And I think one of the things that was surprising to me was involving the White House. And that's probably the closest I'm going to get to Trump on this week's episode. And that is, there's a White House Bible study for the first time in 
like over a hundred years. Oh, White House Bible study is being led by a pastor who is anti-gay, anti-women, and anti-Catholic. And as a Catholic myself, that's kind of uh, disconcerting. So, the first Bible study group held for the U.S. cabinet in at least a hundred years is led by a pastor who believes homosexuality is illegitimate, who doesn't believe women should preach, and has described Catholicism as a false religion. Ten members of the cabinet, including Vice President Mike Pence, Secretary of State... Mike Pompeo and Education Secretary Betsy DeVos sponsor the study group, which holds meetings lasting between an hour and 90 minutes every Wednesday, according to BBC News. It unfolds at a location in Washington, D.C. that is kept secret for security reasons. Its leader is Ralph Drollinger, a pastor and president of Capital Ministries, an organization which aims to evangelize elected officials and lead them toward maturity in Christ. The 63-year-old former pro basketball player from California founded Capital Ministries with his wife in 1996 to offer prayer groups, Bible study meetings, and private ministry to politicians. It now operates in 43 state capitals and over 20 locations outside of the U.S. The outspoken pastor sparked controversy for his views on women, same-sex relationships, and Catholicism. Arguing that women and men have different roles, he claimed in the BBC News interview, there's a prohibition of female leadership in marriage and female leadership in the church, and those are clear in scripture. It doesn't mean in an egalitarian sense that a woman is of lesser importance. And earlier this year, in a Bible study session released on the Capital Ministries website, he said, Homosexuality and same-sex ceremonies are illegitimate in God's eyes. His word is repetitive, uh, perspicuous, which clearly expressed, and stayed on the subject. Those comments come after he wrote in a Bible study addressed in the U.S. Capitol in 2013, Not only is homosexuality and same-sex marriage voided by God and his word, but biology as well castigates homosexuality and same-sex marriage. The ultimate outcome is the discontinuation of the species since homosexualities cannot procreate. For sure, one cannot be homosexual and an evolutionist at the same time. In 2004, Drawing True was criticized for declaring Catholicism is one of the primary false religions of the world. As a result, progressive campaigners have objected to drawing true's regular meetings with high-ranking U.S. politicians and fear the influence he could have on their political outlook. Asked whether he tells his students how to vote, drawing told BBC News that he will put the blueprint on the engineer's seat on the train, which will show the right tracks to the station. Well, that sounds kind of interesting. But I'm going to tell you what tracks to take, but you've got to be pretty stupid not to follow the blueprint because it's there. In a statement, the LGBT advocacy nonprofit, the human rights campaign called Drollinger an extremist. People look to their faith as a source of guidance and inspiration. LGBTQ people and our family and friends are no different, the group said. Drollinger's influence and involvement in the current administration is not only driving a wedge between faith communities and the LGBTQ community, but is turning back the clock on progress with the spread of even more divisive rhetoric throughout the highest ranking of governments. Jessica Stern, the executive director of LGBT advocacy nonprofit Outright Action International, told Newsweek, Make no mistake, there is no mere study group. The organization has targeted American government officials, so it is, by definition, sought to blur the line between church and state. Their anti-woman and anti-LGBTQ view matters because the highest levels of American government are listening to them. Members of the president's cabinet must immediately withdraw their sponsorship of this organization. The representatives of the North America region of the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans, and Intersex Association. Have you ever heard of intersex before? That's a new one for me. We have concerns that the administration is willing to accept counsel from individuals who are hostile towards the LGBTQ community. 
There are many faith leaders to whom the administration can receive counsel who are inclusive and do not discriminate against any community. Many people who identify as LGBTQ are spiritual and religious people, and the fact that the president is surrounded by people who seek religious counsel from an exclusionary and hateful person is problematic. The president should require his cabinet to open the religious studies to more inclusionary groups and individuals. The White House and Capitol Ministries did not respond to a request for comment. So that's a little interesting. I'm very much for the separation of church and state, and I think holding a Bible study group within the White House or with White House administration on government grounds is a little bit much. I It's tricky. Everyone is definitely willing to have the pastor they want, the religious figure that they want to go to or want to speak from. And this could even be a very different group if, say, Mike Pence was leading the group as opposed to someone who a lot of people in their eyes view as an extremist or, like the article says, anti-gay, anti-women, and anti-Catholic. So, I don't know, it's just weird, and I think the headline says more than the article really does. Because if they were going to a church with the same guy there, it probably wouldn't be... Even though they're getting the same counsel from someone like him, it wouldn't be as big news as some as it being a White House-associated a Bible study. And I've attended Bible studies. They're great for you if you want to learn more about certain topics in the Bible or just have that sense of community and insight into, at least in myself and with uh, Catholicism or really whatever religion you aspire to. And if you're no religion at all, well, I guess if you're no religion at all, you wouldn't be having a Bible study. So that's kind of a mute point. So that's what I thought was kind of interesting. And there's not really a good segue out of that, but we can kind of keep it in the D.C. area and go to the next article, which is kind of appropriate given how close we are to Memorial Day, which was last week. And that is Arlington, Seminar- uh, sorry, Arlington Cemetery, nearly full and may become more exclusive. To preserve space for future war heroes in the country's premier national cemetery, the Army is considering new rules that would turn away many currently eligible veterans. I've actually been to Arlington National Cemetery. I went there a few years back when I visited D.C. for a family reunion. Um, It's a very powerful place to visit. It's just, it'll put you on your knees how just the sheer amount of people who are laid to rest there and go to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and the changing of the guard and all that. It's it's definitely a powerful city. and you can there during our tour, which we you kind of take a guided tour. You kind of get a little like tram car. There's a couple uh, cars lined up, and there's kind of a tour guide who talks about it, and not overly loud because it is a place of rest for a lot of people, and it should be solemn and should be able to mourn. But just talking about how it is reach capacity, they're doing what they can and erecting um, large concrete mausoleums to store. Uh, cremated remains or to people who want to be interned that way just to get as much space but they are it's like they're on an island they're pretty much landlocked by construction by roads by industry that's just around them and it's just it's almost at capacity like they said so i gotta wish that i'll kind of get back into the article uh the solemn ritual of a burial with military honors is repeated dozens of times a day in foul weather affair at Arlington national cemetery honoring service members from privates to presidents, but in order to preserve the tradition of burial at the nation's foremost military cemetery for a few generations, 
the army which runs Arlington says that it may have to deny it to nearly all veterans who are living today. Arlington is running out of room, already the final resting place for more than 420,000 veterans and their relatives. The cemetery has been adding about 7,000 more each year. At that rate, even if the last rinds of open ground around its edges are put to use, the cemetery will be completely full in about 25 years. We're literally up against a wall, says Barbara Lewandrowski, a spokesman for the cemetery, as she stood in the soggy grass where marble markers mark up the stone wall separating the grounds from a six-lane highway. Even that wall has been put to use, stacked three high with uh, niches for cremated remains. The army wants to keep Arlington going for at least another 150 years, but with no room to grow, the grounds are hemmed in by highways and development. The only way to do so is to significantly tighten the rules for who can be buried there. Thank you, Max, for starting to scratch your collar at that moment. The only way to do so is significantly tighten the rules but for who can be buried there. This has prompted a difficult debate over what Arlington means to the nation and how to balance egalitarian ideals against the site's physical limits. Sorry, there's just a lot of pictures in this article. The strictest proposal that the army is considering would allow barriers only for service members killed in action or awarded the military's highest decoration of heroism, the Medal of Honor. Under those restrictions, Arlington would become probably conduct fewer burials in a year than it does right now in a single week. A policy like that would exclude thousands of currently eligible combat veterans and career officers who risked their lives in the service and who plan to be buried in Arlington among their fallen comrades. I don't know if it's fair to go back on a promise to an entire population of veterans, said John Towles, a legislative deputy director for veterans of foreign wars who, de who deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. The group, with 1.7 million veterans, has adamantly opposed the new restrictions. Let Arlington fill up with people who have served their country, said Mr. Towles, who is eligible under current rules because he was wounded in battle, who can create a new cemetery that in time will be just as special. Arlington is not the only place for military burials, of course. There are 135 national cemeteries maintained by the Department of Veteran Affairs across the country, but Arlington is by far the most prominent, and curtailing burial there would mean changing the site from an active cemetery and something closer to a museum. In my own experience, it is also very much a museum. There's the main entrance is kind of a museum of sorts, gift shop, all that. I actually got, since I'm a big John F. Kennedy uh, fan, and, and just a very interesting public figure, and I have a lot of books on him, and I actually got a copy of the DC paper from the day of, well, probably the day after his assassination. And just, they have a lot of other stuff there that you can take, and not take, but you can buy. That whole event was, sorry, kind of a nightmare because... Took a shuttle out there through, like, the bus tours, and then the bus tour stopped, so we had to take a cab back, and it was just a, a mess, because they don't tell you they're going to stop servicing after a certain time, so. But that's beside the point. Back to the article. And actually, speaking of uh, other uh, national cemeteries that are maintained by the Department of Veteran Affairs, there actually is a, where I grew up in Danville, Illinois, there was, there's also a uh, national cemetery. But, um, the Army is conducting a survey of public opinion on the question through the summer and expects to make formal recommendations in the fall. Where does the nation want us to do? Arlington Executive Director Kareem Duram Aguiera said in an interview, if the nation has the will to say, we want to keep Arlington special available, we have to make a change. In a fitting turn of history, the cemetery now faced with a threat of overcrowding was treated to address overcrowding. Early in the Civil War, the heavy death toll in battles near the capital soon filled Washington's existing cemeteries. Desperate for more burial space, the Quartermaster General of the Army, Montgomery C. Meigs, turned to a rolling green plantation just across the Potomac, the home of General Robert E. Lee, whose decision to fight on the Confederate side marked him as a traitor in many Union eyes. General Meigs' men began burying corpses beneath simple wood markers in the field, and then, in a grim rebuke to the absent owner, 
lined the flower garden with the graves of Union officers and built a tomb near the door of the plantation house to hold the bones of 2,100 unknown dead. At first, Arlington was anything but a coveted resting place. Most early burials were of ordinary soldiers whose families could not afford to have their remains shipped home. But as revered Union officers later chose to be buried in Arlington among the troops, the cemetery rose in prestige. The Tomb of the Unknowns was erected after World War I, and on nearly every Memorial Day since then, the sitting president has laid a wreath there. Among the limestone rows are milestones of human progress. The first explorer to map the Grand Canyon. The first person killed in an airplane crash. The first astronauts to die during trying to reach space. Some distinguished themselves on the battlefield. Others later in life, including Albert Sabin, who served briefly as a wartime army doctor and went on to develop the polio vaccine. And Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., a wounded Civil War lieutenant of little distinction who later became a Supreme Court Justice. Most have been barred under restrictions now being contemplated by the Army. The modern concept of Arlington, an egalitarian Elysian field where generals and GIs of every creed and color are buried side by side, did not truly emerge until the cemetery was desecrated, or sorry, desegregated after World War II. According to Mickey McKellia, a history professor at the University of Connecticut, who has written about the cemetery, many look to the place is a self-evident case for national inclusion as or inclusion and belonging, as an expression of the many and diverse becoming one. Professor McKellia said in an interview that she said in the Arlington cited by uh, Kizar Khan, the father of an army captain killed in Iraq and buried at the cemetery when he urged Donald J. Trump to visit, look at the graves of the brave patriots who have died defending the United States of America. Mr. Cotton said in a speech at the 2016 Democratic National Convention, you'll see all faiths, genders, and ethnicities. Now, though, that all inclusive idea is bumping up against the lack of space. Arlington has tried to stretch what room it has. It ended the old practice of burying family members side by side and now stacks them two or three deep in a single plot. In sections that hold only cremated remains, the rows are now spaced close together, but planners say those measures can only do so much. Under current rules, burial plots in Arlington are open to veterans who served long enough to retire from the military. To troops who were wounded in battle received one of the three highest awards for valor. To prisoners of war, to troops who die while in active duty, and to a few civilians who serve in high-level government posts, their spouse, and dependents are also eligible. The Army has laid out several proposals for changing those rules to keep Arlington open longer, but only the most restrictive options would make much difference and those are the least popular among veterans. Everybody wants to see Arlington stay open, says Gerardo Avilia, a wounded Iraq veteran who spoke to Congress on the issue on behalf of the American Legion. He said that while he would gladly give up his own spot to ensure a place for future Medal of Honor recipients, the Legion, with 2.3 million members, does not share that view. You're voting your own rights away, he said. I'm not sure our members are willing to do that. Army surveys indicate that the public support gives priority to troops killed in battle or awarded the Medal of Honor, but is not hard to find Graves Nonton of arguably deserving men and women who did neither. On a recent evening, Nadine McLaughlin uh, knelt before the grave of her husband, Colonel Joseph McLaughlin, to trim the grass with scissors before arranging a bright vase of lilies. Colonel McLaughlin was a fighter pilot who strafed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. A week after the invasion, he was shot down and, though wounded, made his way back through enemy lines to safety. He went on to fly more than 100 more missions, earning the Legion of Merit, the Distinguished Flying Cross, and 17 Air Medals for Acts of Heroism in Flight. He survived the war and lived for six more decades until 2005, so one of the most restrictive proposals he would not qualify for burial at Arlington. My Joe is a wonderful man, very courageous, very kind, Miss McLaughlin said. I'm not sure that's fair, to cut out men like him. They were in the line of fire even if they made it. Being buried here with his friends means a lot to him. It's really a dilemma.
so it's definitely very clear to me. I, yeah, I saw firsthand the amount of overcrowding and what they're doing to try and get as much space utilized out of Arlington as they can. But yeah, in my lifetime, Arlington will probably become full. And they'll have to do something about it. It's not like they can create more space. They can't have... They can't find a chunk of land near Arlington and just say, this is Arlington 2, or the second campus, or whatever you would even call it. This is hollowed ground. People of every war have been buried here. And it's hard to say that there's going to be a time when it's going to be full, but that's got it. It's life. And I guess death that there's only a finite amount of space that we have at Arlington. And so eventually it's going to become, and it's hard because there have been people who have served and they want to be buried with their, their brothers or sisters that they served with. They want to be buried in Arlington with them or, and all you can do is just make another national cemetery dedicated to those who've served our country and the wars across the world. So, I think that's the only option. I think saying you can't is restrictive because regardless of what you did in combat or what you did during the war, everyone who serves should have a right to be buried in Arlington. It shouldn't be that restrictive. I've, I'm not a military person. I've, my grandfather, well, both grandfathers served and uncles and them have served as well. And I think if they wanted to, they should have, they should have been able to be buried at Arlington or any other national cemetery and some almost want to be buried with their family. So it's just kind of on those. But I think if you if you serve and you want to be buried at Arlington, that shouldn't be something that should stop you. But the sad truth is with the amount of people have served and are certainly alive that have served in wars that are currently eligible, that number will fill up Arlington many times over and there's just not the space for that. So I guess we'll have to kind of see what goes from there i have to go from this somber topic to another topic on the poor four and i don't know which of the two that i have next would be worth talking about so i'm gonna go to one that's kind of also kind of depressing i'll kind of save the more interesting story for last so this is an article from cnn cannabis oil stopped his seizures but may keep him from his football dream so there is a college football player named cj harris he's a standout strong safety who uses cannabis oil for his seizures he committed to play for Auburn University, but was notified that the NCAA will not allow him to play. So a high school football player who takes cannabis oil to prevent his seizures has been ruled ineligible to play in college, a decision that has sparked outrage from advocates, lawmakers, and sports fans. Former Big Ten Coach of the Year sharply criticized his decision, saying, It's not fair to the kid, and urged the NCAA to, to reconsider. C.J. Harris, a standout strong safety, helped lead Warner Robins High School to the Georgia State Championship game and committed to play for Auburn University next season. He was recently notified by Auburn coaches that the NCAA will not allow him to play if he remains on cannabis oil, according to CNN affiliate WGXA. Under NCAA guidelines, athletes are not permitted to have any tetrahydrocannabal in, cannibal in their systems, known as THC. It is one of the active ingredients in cannabis. It has some medical application, but also psychoactive and can cause a high. The electroactive cannabis ingredients, cannabidol or CBD, does not produce a high and is thought to offer wide-ranging health benefits, including against seizures. The cannabis oil Harris takes for his seizures contains less than 0.3% THC, according to the label. We won't be able to pass an NCAA drug test while in the medicine, WGXA reported. We urge the NCAA to review their existing guidelines on THC and explore 
possible exceptions to allow players under medical treatment like CJ the ability to fulfill their dreams of playing college football. Phil Gatton, president and CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation, non-profit, non-profit advocacy group, said in a statement, We hope the NCAA will reconsider their decision and assess CJ on his character and talent as a football player. Gatton said, Though he couldn't comment specifically about Harris's use of CBD oil to treat his seizures, the Epilepsy Foundation is committed to advocating for people with sorry about that, epilepsy live their fullest lives and realize their dreams. We support safe, legal access to medical cannabis and CBD if a patient and their healthcare team feel that the potential benefits of medical cannabis or CBD for uncontrolled epilepsy outweighs the risks. The NCAA has not responded to a request for comment. Jerry Kill, who was named Big Ten Coach of the Year as the head football coach of the University of Minnesota, even as he battled his own seizure disorder, was sharply critical of the decision. In a foreign interview with CNN, he urged Auburn and the NCAA to come together to reconsider the decision. That young man should not be punished for a disorder that is being controlled by cannabis oil, said Kill, who had to retire due to seizures and has been a champion for those with epilepsy. I encourage both parties to take a good look at what they're doing to a young man's dream. It is not safe for him to play, that is one thing, but if it's because he's using CBD oil and they won't let him play, that's another. A kid should not be punished for his seizures being brought under control. It's not fair to the kid. Harris was an eighth grader was an 8th grader when he suffered his first seizure, but a sophomore year in high school he was having 2 or 3 seizures a month. Typical anti-seizure medications didn't work, so his doctor eventually put him on cannabis oil. He has not had a seizure since, began taking it in January 2017. CBD is legal for people with seizure disorders in Georgia as well as in neighboring Alabama, where Auburn is located. Harris planned to attend Auburn his dream school as a walk-on next season. I saw everything lining up perfectly for me. But that dream was shattered when he was notified by Auburn staff the NCAA ruled him ineligible if he stayed on cannabis oil. You're taking something away from a kid who worked so hard his whole life to get there, and you're just taking it away because he's taking medication that's helping him with a disability, Father Curtis Harris told WGXA. Alan Peake, a state representative who has championed medical marijuana for children in Georgia, expressed outrage on the news of Harris' ineligibility. We must fix this, he tweeted. Heath Clark, a state representative from Warner Robins, had rejoined, had rejoiced at the state's capital in February when Harris committed to Auburn, saying that the young man being seizure-free was a wonderful example of good news resulting from legislation of medical marijuana. His dreams are being fulfilled. He has a future. He's going to get a quality education at the school across the Georgia border, Clark said at the time. As news of Harrison eligibility spread Friday, Clark took to Twitter to bash the NCAA. The NCAA needs to fix their outdated policies, he wrote. Uh, others expressed a similar sentiment. Brandon Marcello, a senior writer for the website Auburn Undercover, tweeted that the NCAA needs to do the right thing here. Harris had commented it had committed to Auburn in February, announcing to his Twitter followers that God has afforded me a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I could not pass up. He told WGXA he is now looking at junior college programs or other schools not under NCAA guidelines. He said he is, was speaking up for others with seizure disorders and standing in solidarity with them to get the word out that there's no need for me to give up anything I want to do in life. Losers like to come up more often as the U.S. Food and Drug Administration considers approving an epilepsy drug that would be the first plant-derived cannabidal medicine for prescription use in the United States. The FDA will vote in late June on whether to approve the drug Epidolex, an oral solution for the treatment of severe forms of epilepsy in a small group of patients. The FDA had approved synthetic versions of some cannabinoid chemicals found in the marijuana plant for other purposes, including cancer pain relief. So, that's interesting. So it looks like the FDA is trying to get in the cannabidal medicine treatment or the CBD treatment. So we'll see how that goes. But I think this is kind of ridiculous. It's well, it's also shocking that someone who suffers from seizures is going to be in a 
a sport that is led to called other brain trauma and the whole concussion thing and all that. But still, it's not like he's smoking weed on the regular and can't pass a drug test or he's on uh, like other banned substances that are... Like, no one taking CBD... It's not a performance-enhancing drug. If anything, it would probably make you worse at football, I think, if you were if you smoked weed or had the high effects of THC in your system. But he's just health benefits to stop him from having seizures. So I'm definitely on the side of the kid. And the fact that he was able to walk on to a, a big school like Auburn to play football is pretty impressive. I mean, it's not like he's going to get a ton of play time, but still, let the kid play. It's ridiculous. Just, I think, yes, there should be an update to the policy. Yes, if you have normal drugs in your system like like cocaine or other performance-enhancing drugs. Not like cocaine is a performance-enhancing drug. But if you have another legal substance or performance-enhancing drug in your system, then yes, the NCAA should take action against you. But if you have next to no THC in your system and it's treating a medical condition, I think they have no claim. I think it should be updated to reflect that. But sadly, it becomes a slippery slope. But like if they say now that... They're not going to, anything, cannabis or or CBD testing or all, whatever they do to prove that you have weed in your system, if that becomes something they no longer test for, then anyone can smoke weed and be fine. And But, like I said, I don't think we use a performance-enhancing drug. It's probably the opposite. So, yeah, definitely a little ridiculous, and I'm definitely on the side of C.J. Harris. So, hopefully this gets resolved and he's able to, because he went from going to play football in Auburn and get a great education to looking at community college options just so we continue playing football. And I think sacrifice your education to play football is another thing altogether, but yeah, just let them play. I think they need to work that out because I think in not too long in the future from now, we're going to have probably legal marijuana as a federal thing and in all 50 states and it's not going to be an issue anymore. So yeah, that's just my two cents on that. We'll see how that resolves and I'll, if I get more information, I'll definitely follow up in a future episode. And I think the last thing I want to talk about today is something I found kind of interesting as I was scrolling through the news, just doing my normal check, and that is a New Jersey sign lost during Superstorm Sandy ends up in France. So a New Jersey realty company says that one of its advertisements launched during Superstorm Sandy in 2012 has been found washed up more on a French beach. Diane Turton Realtors, a company headquartered in Point Pleasant Beach, shared photos of the Sandy sign on the Facebook Wednesday when the company was now truly global. Uh, on their Facebook page, it said, Diane Turton Realtors, a truly global real estate company. Two weeks ago, a f- resident of France contacted our marketing department regarding Diane Turton, realtor signage that washed up on the beaches of France. The Diane Turton realtor signage was lost during Hurricane Sandy and was covered by Hans Frank on the beaches of Bordeaux, France. The Diane Turton Realtors wall office owned the sign which was lost from one of their waterfront listings during Hurricane Sandy. Having our signage wash up in France on the beach truly proves that Diane Turton, the realtor's is a global real estate company. 64-year-old Hans Frank tells the New York Times that he sent an email to the realty company after he found the sign washed up near Bordeaux, France. Company manager Perry Bonaducci says the sign was posted at a waterfront listing in Brielle before it was lost during Superstorm Sandy. Bonaducci notes the listing itself was not damaged and sold the next spring. Over the course of five and a half years, the sign traversed nearly 4,000 miles, or 6,437 kilometers, for those of you following the metric system. So that's kind of crazy. A sign that, at least from the pictures that I'm looking at, is in pretty good shape. It got a little beat up on the edges, but you can still definitely make out who it is based on the fact that it's a 
mirrored sign that it, you can see half it on the front, half it on the back. So, but we've seen that with the case when there was the hurricane that affected Japan and there was stuff that got tossed in the water that ended up like shipping containers of ending up on the west coast of the U.S. and in Canada and all that. So we've definitely seen that some stuff that ends up in the ocean can end up thousands of miles away washed up on the shore. So yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting and it shows that as long as you can get a little bit of a nice article that shows how one little thing can go so far away. So that's kind of what I want to talk about this week. I know it's not a crazy i know there's a lot of news i want to talk about but i i would need hours to talk about trump this week and i'm going to try and condense and see if i can get some follow-up because a tweet basically saying is the absolute power to pardon is something that we just have to get into and i know i had a facebook post on my personal page i got a lot of comments and trump's twitter this past week has been crazy so i think i'm gonna have a trump centered episode maybe for 42 and i'll do a follow-up episode in 43 and i'll probably have those out maybe this week but i don't know yet but I think that's enough episode and me talking for this week. Um, as always, you can check me out on DrainingComics.com. Get all my backlog of episodes. Uh, you can go to my social media at Facebook.com. You can go it at The Poor Report on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So definitely check me out there. I have posts on there and you can find links to episodes as they drop. And like I said before, you can go to Patreon.com slash JourneyIntoComics. Get early access to... My show and all the other shows, like the other shows I'm involved with, like Foodies Watching Movies and Adulting Ain't Easy, and you can check out all the other shows there, and you can check out our exclusive content as well on the Patreon, so definitely check those out. But yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, I am Andrew Poor. This is The Poor Report, episode 41. Yes, 41. And yeah, that's it for me. Thanks, guys.